0: So very warm welcome to you, um, very warm welcome if you're here here in church at Brighton Road, uh, very warm welcome if you're listening to us online, I can see there's about uh, 15, 16 people watching online, so it's good to know um, that there, we're gathered together as a family, whether we're here or whether we're online, we come together to worship um, our God this morning. And I've been. Uh, using some words from the website from the Northumbria community over the last few weeks just as my uh, uh, using their morning prayer as part of the time I spend praying in the morning and it starts with a question it says uh, who, is it, who is it that you seek? and the response is we seek the Lord now that bit's easy isn't it we come together to seek the Lord But then it goes on to ask, do you seek him with all your heart? Do you seek him with all your soul? Do you seek him with all your mind? Do you seek him with all your strength? And it started me thinking, because it kind of easy to say that, isn't it? Yes, I do that. But when I started to think about it for myself, and I can only think about it for myself. Do we really seek him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength? If I'm honest, I know there are parts of my heart, soul, mind and strength that seek other things. I'm often distracted. There are many other things to do. I often try to do things in my own strength. And sometimes, if I'm really honest, my heart isn't entirely in my worship. And so, if only for me, because I don't know where you are, we're going to start with a song that just allows us to reflect on those words. It asks for more of God in our lives and restates our desire to seek him, to worship him with all our heart mind and strength. So I'd like to invite you to stand and join with me, at least, in singing this song. More love, more power, more of you in my life. believed and come to know that you are the holy one of God. Amen. Please take your seats. I can use some uh, verses from 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 16. I think it also makes it into Psalm 95. Is that the right one, Tim? I think it's Psalm 95. <clears throat> Give praise to the Lord proclaim call on his name make known among the nations what he has done sing to him sing praise to, sing praise to him tell of his wonderful acts glory in his holy name let the hearts of those who seek the lord rejoice look to the lord and his strength seek his face always remember the wonders he has done his miracles and the judgments he pronounced, O descendants of Israel, his servant, O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him, strength and joy in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then the trees of the forest will sing. They will sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. For he is good, his love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God our Saviour. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen. Praise the Lord. And so we're going to join together again in singing a couple of songs, picking up From those verses, splendour and majesty are before him, strength and joy in his dwelling place. Majesty of heaven, your glory fills the skies, light of the world, you are Lord of all. To you, the nations found. Most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. There is another God like you, a God of justice and unfailing love. He stands by every promise made to his people, generation after generation. There is no other. You alone are God. And so we worship you. We give you thanks. We proclaim your greatness. We sing your praises. We honor your holy name and celebrate your faithful presence with us. And Lord, we want to lift your... We come to this morning's reading. Um, the eagle-eyed amongst you uh, may have spotted that originally this service was to be called uh, The Woman Caught in Adultery. Uh, I couldn't quite picture um, posters on the outside of the church
1: <laughs>
0: saying, The Woman Caught in Adultery. Um, so Mary and I agreed to change it and we have called it Second Chances. So here's the story of The Woman Caught in Adultery. Or taken in adultery, actually, I think was the phrase, isn't it? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law of Moses brought in a woman who had... Okay, I'm sorry, I'll read from up here because we seem to have a slightly different version. Then early the next morning he went to the temple. The people came to him and he sat down and started teaching them. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law of Moses brought in a woman who'd been caught in bed with a husband, with a man who wasn't her husband. They made a stand in the middle of the crowd... And they said, teacher, this woman was caught sleeping with a man who isn't her husband. The law of Moses teaches that a woman like this should be stoned to death. What do you say? They asked Jesus this question because they wanted to test him and bring some charge against him. But Jesus simply bent over and started writing on the ground with his finger. They kept on asking Jesus about the woman. Finally he stood up. And said, if any of you have never sinned, then go ahead and throw the first stone at her. Once again, he bent over and began writing on the ground. The people left, one by one, beginning with the oldest. Finally, Jesus and the woman were there alone. Jesus stood up and asked her, where is everyone? Isn't there anyone left to accuse you? "'No, sir,' the woman answered. "'Then Jesus told her, "'I'm not going to accuse you either. "'You may go now, but don't sin any more.'"
2: Good. Right, have you ever had the situation where you go into something thinking it, uh, it's going to be really straightforward uh, and then it ends up not being so? Oh Well, perhaps it's a task that you expect to be simple Um, and then it turns out to be anything but, Uh, and it takes you at least twice as long, or it's more complex than you could ever have imagined. You go into it anticipating, it'll be easy as A, B, C. But well, you know, you get the picture. This morning we're going to look at the text read to us earlier as part of our Encounters with Jesus series, and as is my custom, I have uh, summarised my thoughts into three points which I'm hoping will shed some light on this passage, it's already more complicated in that Jesus does not encounter just the one person, uh, but several. Our passage begins with Jesus having made an early start, because we're told in um, in, uh, different versions that it's dawn, um, and he's at the temple courts, surrounded by people, as he is teaching. I picture a nice quiet and calm scene in a sacred space. It's a positive, worshipful picture. And into this barges an angry, loud mob dragging some woman with them. It's the teachers of the law, the scribes and the Pharisees and they want Jesus to rule a a judgment on this woman which brings me to my (coughs) first point. They don't bring this woman to Jesus because they seek his counsel. They don't stand her in the middle of the group because they want to benefit from Jesus' wisdom. No. They have their own agenda. They think they have Jesus right where they want him. He's cornered. He won't be able to get out of this one. They won't have to put up with this Nazarene upstart, who has fellowship with all sorts of unsavoury folk, tax collectors, sinners, Prostitutes, the poor, sick, infirm, with his message of divine grace and forgiveness. They won't have to put up with that for much longer. I mean, oh no. Verse 3, we read, Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the centre. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So we actually have in this um, three traps in one being set here. Jesus has, uh, is becoming increasingly popular, getting quite a reputation for showing compassion for even the most undeserving riffraff, those that others would write off as a lost cause. They may well have been amongst those that surrounded him now and had been listening to his teaching just earlier. And that all could be unravelled by what might happen next. The second trap is is that they were under Roman rule. They were bound by Roman law. And that meant capital punishment could only be carried out following a trial before the Roman official in charge. We see this point being made later in John 18 when Jesus himself is brought before Pilate and Pilate tells them, the accusers, to take Jesus away and to judge him by their own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they say. So the scribes and the Pharisees know that if Jesus concurs and says, yes, this woman should be executed, then he could find himself in a whole heap of trouble with the Romans and potentially he could also lose the support of his followers for having shown so little compassion for the appalling treatment of this woman. But if he doesn't rule that she be stunned, well, then he sets himself against the law of God as given through Moses. It's a Morton's fork, a catch-22, betwixt a rock and a hard place or any other sort of variations on a scene. Jesus will basically lose whichever way he turns. They want to be rid of Jesus, and they're using this woman to trap him. As one writer puts it, they were not righteously seeking to obey what was prescribed in the law in order to purge Jerusalem of the sin of adultery. No. They were rather using the pure and holy prescription of God's word to realise their own agenda. If they had been seeking to follow the law as laid out in Leviticus 20, the man who had been with the woman should also have been there and stand accused, facing the same judgement. Both perpetrators were meant to be punished. Who was the man? We don't know. Where is the man? We don't know that either. He's not even mentioned. (coughs) No. Their hearts were far from the real purpose of the law. The law was intended to be a mirror of righteousness for self-examination and not a sword of judgment to terrorise or snare to be used to trap the enemy. To Jesus, at least, their agenda was all too clear and there was nothing righteous about it. What might have appeared to others as outraged piety was to Jesus little more than self-serving, brutal resentment laid bare. And then comes Jesus' rather baffling response. (laughs) Random E in there. The end of verse 6 says, Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. He doesn't say anything. They badger him for an answer. They keep pushing their own agenda. Is Jesus silent because he's sort of lost for words? Well, perhaps he's buying some time as he tries to think up a way out of this. I don't think it's that at all. I think he's hugely disappointed in those who should be leading God's people in a covenant relationship with him, but instead prioritise their own agenda and ambitions, grasping to retain power and control. And so Jesus stands and says, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he stoops down and continues writing on the ground. I see this as an absolute drop-the-mic kind of moment myself. Jesus has turned the lens of accusation in an entirely different direction. Out to the would-be executioners. And then he just crouches down again. He puts the bombshell out there and by once again stooping he opens up space for his opponents and the accused to reflect upon their own identities and where they each are with God. In one stroke Jesus has baffled his opponents into reflective silence. The calm that had been at the outset of this account have been restored as one by one the accusers leave. When they've all left Jesus once again stands up and this time addresses the woman. The woman who up until this point has been objectified placed like a statue in the centre to be an unheard object in this very masculine power game as one writer puts it she is nameless partnerless because where's he defenceless she has now been given herself an opportunity to respond the most unlikely of second chances has been afforded her in verse we read when Jesus stood up he said to her woman where are they? has no one condemned you? no one Lord she answered neither do I condemn you said Jesus go and from now on do not sin any more woman was publicly humiliated and would have had every expectation of a public death. But Jesus' actions have changed all that. The slate has been wiped clean. Previously, she had been little more than a pawn in a game played by others, and now Jesus speaks to her directly. Not harshly, though it would seem from Jesus' words that she was indeed guilty. No, instead he speaks to her with compassion. He reaffirms the chance that she has to start again. But notice how Jesus deals with those he encounters here in rather similar fashion. With those pushing their own agenda, he stoops down, begins writing in the sand. Before he speaks to the woman, he has bent down and is writing once more. I don't know what he's writing. And lots of people speculate all sorts of interesting (laughs) and fairly bizarre things. Quite frankly, I don't think it really matters, personally. But feel free to uh, speculate away. I think what's more important is that he treats these people the same way. He stoops, writes, rises, and speaks. Speaks to their hearts. Speaks to the heart of those who would hear They've met with Jesus and it's been a life-giving experience. The scribes and the Pharisees could see they were sinners too. And the woman has received acceptance. In a sense, both parties are being given the opportunity to have the slate wiped clean and go from that place the better for having encountered Jesus. So, it's as easy and as challenging as ABC. A, agendas revealed. Jesus sees right through any agenda that we might have. As with the Pharisees, We might be trying to hold on to control. We may even resent God poking his nose into those areas that we really don't want him to see. And It's time to stop playing games with God and using situations to further advance what we want. Letting go of our own agendas can be, no, it really is a difficult thing to do. But thankfully, God is gracious and patient, and he will help you. You've only to ask. B. Baffling response. Jesus did not do anything in this story, really, that would have been expected by those present, or indeed what they hoped for. He didn't fall into any traps. He didn't give a judgmental knee-jerk reaction. He even let go free someone who was quite likely guilty. All too often, we expect God to conform to our limited understanding. And funnily enough, it doesn't work out the way that we planned. Of course, that can leave us quite baffled. I would suggest that perhaps That's the time, like those in the story today, that's the time that you've been given to think. The opportunity for self-reflection, for prayer. Having that sense of bewilderment is an opportunity to look to God. To focus on Him. To rely on Him and not on your own. Understanding. See. Chance reaffirmed. In a sense, everyone in this story that Jesus encountered was given some sort of chance to begin anew. The proud pious and the broken bound by sin. Today, all of us, all of us, no matter who we are, what we've done,
0: what we might think
2: of ourselves, we're all given the chance to begin anew. All of us are invited to this table. Jesus had a reputation for eating with the sinners. I thank God he did. Let me close with a poem that I know is familiar to uh, some of you here. It's by George Herbert and is simply called Love. It reminds us that God speaks to each of us personally. Whether we are the proud, pious, humbled by Christ's touch upon our lives or feel broken and bound by sin, he invites each of us. Love bade me welcome. Yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, You shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful. Oh, my dear, I I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand, and smiling did reply, Who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it does deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat.
0: So let's uh, let's come to God uh, together to pray, to to confess. Dear Lord, we come to you today in worship and in praise, knowing that you are God and King, knowing that you are worthy of our praise. We come, recognizing that we are sinners. Stand here in need of you, our Saviour, We have sinned against you and others and ourselves and have wanted to go our own way. We have been stubborn, controlling and selfish and have not been faithful to you. We confess that we have not always been good witnesses of your love and grace and have not always stood firm in our faith. We are truly sorry, O Lord. Please forgive us. Change our hearts and cause us to repent and turn towards you. Fill us, Holy Spirit, making us new and whole. Wash us clean and breathe your breath into us. In the name of Jesus. use a version of Psalm 51 as we continue um, in the same sort of vein of confession despite the fact this is yellow and black, don't worry, it's not a responsive reading God give me mercy from your fountain of forgiveness I know your abundant love is enough to wash away my guilt because your compassion is so great Take away the shameful guilt of sin. Forgive the full extent of my rebellious ways and erase this deep stain on my conscience. For I am so ashamed. I feel such pain and anguish within me. I can't get away from the sting of my sin against you, Lord. Everything I did, I did right in front of you, for you saw it all against you. And you above all have I sinned. Everything you say to me is infallibly true and your judgment conquers me. Lord, I've been a sinner from birth from the moment my mother conceived me. I know that you delight to set your truth deep in my spirit. So come into the hidden places of my heart and teach me wisdom. Purify my conscience. Make this leper clean again. Wash me in your love until I am pure in heart. Hide my sins from your face. Erase all my guilt by your saving grace. Keep creating in me a clean heart. Fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires, ready to please you. So we're going to sing again um, a song which picks up that theme. My future hangs on this. You make preciousness from dust. Please don't stop creating me. Countless second chances we've been given at the cross. come to this table not because you may not because you are strong but because you are weak come not because of any goodness of your own gives you the right to come but because you need mercy and help come because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more come because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ, for we are his body. Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us. And we remember the promise that made all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross. And so on the night he was betrayed Jesus took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of our Saviour Jesus Christ torn for you. Eat and remember the wounds that heal the death that brings us life paid the price to make us one. So let's take the bread and eat it as we receive it, remembering that Jesus died for each one of us as individuals. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, In remembrance of me the blood that cleanses every stain of sin shed for you drink and remember he drains death's cup that all may enter in to receive the life of god and so we'll keep the cups and drink together as a family because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to save us, not condemn us. Thank you that in you we find forgiveness. Father God, thank you for giving us your Son to be our Savior. Amen. Let's continue in prayer as we bring... Uh, To our loving Father, those situations and people around the world and closer to home that we're concerned about. I'm sure each of us will have situations and people that we want to pray for. So I've just thought of a few, I'll leave a moment's silence and then lead us in prayer. The ongoing situation in Ukraine, flooding in Brazil, the ongoing coronavirus situation, the response to that here in our our own country and our own government. Those impacted by storms over the last week and then those in our own fellowship. We pray for John, Amy, Ben and Miriam. For those who are struggling with poor health. For those who are isolated and those facing an uncertain future. God of love, Hear the cry of those who yearn for love, for fractured families and broken homes, those who feel neglected, unwanted, and alone. God of justice, hear the cry of those who yearn for justice, those who are persecuted and oppressed, exploited ill-treated and broken. God of peace, hear the cry of those who yearn for peace, for those in battle zones and broken states, those who are frightened, fearful and anxious. God of healing, hear the cry of those who yearn for healing, physical and emotional and spiritual for those who are hurting, weakened and depressed. God of mercy, hear the cry of those who yearn for mercy for those who are convicted and in need of your grace, those feeling contrite, humble and bowed down. Father God, we bring all these things to you, knowing that you know and love each one of us. And we place those situations we pray for into your hands and ask that you have your will. Amen. So as we come towards the end of our service, we're sing a couple more songs. I want us to declare our faith. We've brought those situations in the world um, that we're concerned about to him. This song allows us to declare our faith in him. The words of the creed set to music, Our Father everlasting, the all creating one, God Almighty. Um, And it goes on to declare um, the words of the creed. So let's stand and sing, Our Father everlasting. Mm -hmm.